0: This is Friday, April 2nd, and today we're going to be looking at one of the most important aspects of understanding this higher Christian life, and especially the benefits that come from living a holy life or having the Holy Spirit live his life through you, and that is the ability, and yes, it is possible, the ability to have power or victory over your sin, these besetting sins, the sins that seem to always grab hold of us and never let us go, the ones that we continually ask forgiveness for and just drive us into spiritual defeat. Is it possible to have victory over those sins? Is it possible, possible to know without a shadow of a doubt that I can be free, be victorious, to live that overcomer life like it talks about in Revelation 2 and 3? Is that part of the higher Christian life? And I want to encourage you today before we start, absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to talk about how to do that today. So let's go ahead and get started. I want you to know at the onset of this that it is possible to know, to actually know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you have power over the sin in your life. But you have to understand it's Power does not come from you. you. can't know it on your own. You can't achieve this in your own strength. But when you fully consecrate it to the Holy Spirit, when you're experiencing this higher Christian life, when you're allowing the Holy Spirit, again, emphasize the word holy, the Holy Spirit to live his life through you. Then yes, just like with the examples we have in the scripture, you can see a life before an infusion of the Holy Spirit and after an infusion of the Holy Spirit, and they're diametrically different. And your life can be different too. As a bit of encouragement today, I thought what we would do is look at some biblical examples, some pictures of some people that we know from scripture to show us What the Holy Spirit can do for a man totally consecrated to him. And for me, quite honestly, these early disciples present some of the greatest testimony to the power of a life, surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and one lived with this divine power and victory over sins. Let me give you an example. In a gospel account, we see men that follow Jesus. These are ordinary men. There's nothing special about them. They're guys just like you and me. But when they're presented to us in Scripture, they're presented with all their fears, their doubts, and their weaknesses. We see all their failures publicly displayed for everyone to see. They are presented to us in their full frailty, as we say, warts and all. And if I was a cynic, the fact that the Bible doesn't whitewash these characters and shows us even their fallibility after they've come to Christ, I would say that kind of works against the life-changing claims made by Jesus. I mean, think about it. These men, the apostles, for example, they followed him for over three years. They heard more, knew more, saw more, experienced more. They listened more. They learned more than any other believer ever from that time until now. Yet knowing what they knew, seeing what they saw, being in the boat when Jesus walked on water, at the grave when Lazarus was raised from the dead, having a ringside seat to every one of Jesus's miracles, they still could not grasp the depth of his teaching to somehow get power or victory over the sin in their lives. They couldn't do it. And if they couldn't do it, if they struggled as much as they did, how am I? How are we today not seeing and experiencing what they saw and experienced? How are we to fare any better? Think about it. Over and over, Jesus had to rebuke his disciples for their selfish and unchristlike actions and attitudes, just like he has to do that to us today. In Luke chapter nine, we've got Jesus getting ready to pass through Samaria and in verse 53, it says, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, who should know better, saw this, they said, Lord, as sincere as they can, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? Do you want us to fry them? to kill them because they offended you? (laughs) Where is this coming from? Then in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has asked the disciples who they believe he is. They have affirmed you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then begins to tell them the rest of the story that I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. I will be killed, but I will raise again on the third day. And Peter takes him aside and corrects him. No, you're wrong about that, Jesus. You must have missed the briefing up in heaven about that, Jesus. God forbid. Bid that will never happen. Really? And then when we get to Matthew chapter 20, we've got two of the disciples coming up with their mother basically saying, we don't want the other ones to know about this, but if you could work this out, can you let my two boys be number one and number two better than the rest of these guys? Let one sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom. Really? And then at the last supper, When Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 22, I earnestly, earnestly desire to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer, they blew off the fact that he said the word suffer, and they started arguing two verses later about which of them should be the greatest. I mean, what a strange group of people. And these are men that had been with Jesus, men that should know better. They're not exactly the stuff that our heroes are made of. And then in Acts chapter one, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven after the resurrection, right before they receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, they're still thinking he's some earthly kingdom. Well, Jesus, I know you're heading up into heaven right now, but is it now that you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? What? I'm kind of shocked. These men knew more about Jesus than you and I know about Jesus and yet they still struggled in their sin. How how can we expect to have victory over our sin if they couldn't? Listen very carefully, very, very carefully. It was because they still view Jesus as God outside of themselves. Let that sink in for a second, outside of themselves. His power was available to them, but like getting manna, they had to go where the manna was, and whatever they got from him never lasted forever. Therefore, sin still loomed large in their lives, and they seem powerless, like we are often, to get victory over it. They were the same old people that had met Jesus, and now somehow they were a little bit better. They were a new and improved version. And this is what happens when we experience the power of Christ on the outside, because it's only when the Holy Spirit comes on the inside and changes our nature that we can experience victory over sin. Now, this is what the disciples were like before Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And at Pentecost, everything changed. Peter, this man that just less than two months earlier denied he even knew who Jesus was, is now filled or Baptized or infused or immersed or empowered, or whatever word you feel comfortable with, explaining what happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. He's overwhelmed and immersed in the Holy Spirit, which Philippians calls the Spirit of Jesus and he's overwhelmed with Jesus on the inside. The promise was that the Holy Spirit would come and live on the inside of them. That's exactly what happened to Peter and 119 others on the day of Pentecost. Peter wasn't following Jesus anymore at a distance. He no longer walked with Jesus or beside Jesus or was hanging around Jesus. The 120 no longer had to travel where Jesus was to be with Jesus because just as he promised in John chapter 14, he now lived in them. He said he would come to them and not leave them as orphans, and he didn't. At Pentecost, Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit came to live in those disciples permanently, and he did it not corporately, but he did it individually to each one of them. He lived in them and didn't just go with them. The power to have victory over sin was not something external anymore that they had to try to achieve by sheer will, like keeping the law. No, the power over sin, literally the power over everything is in the person of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus who now lived permanently forever in them, just like he lives in us, in you. Think about it. Nothing can compare to receiving and knowing the Holy Spirit, this higher Christian life. Look what happened to these disciples. They struggled for years. Then the Holy Spirit comes into their life and Peter stands up in Acts chapter two and preaches a sermon that I don't know where it came from. It's not very long, but it's full of Old Testament passages. Many of them we would consider obscure and 3000 people got saved. Next time we find Peter, he's being confronted, not just by a lady at night in a courtyard saying, I know you. You must be part of the Nazarene's followers. But instead, he's confronted by the Congress and the Supreme Court of their time and commanding him not to teach or preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that because there is no salvation in any other name while people should be saved but this one. Where did this boldness come from? From Acts chapter 2 on, everything changed, and it was because the disciples now and all the followers of Christ had the ability to let the Holy Spirit live holy lives through them because God no longer existed in the outside, but He now lived in the inside. That was Stephen's sermon. God does not live in buildings made by men. He now lives in us as a temple of the Holy Spirit. The only difference between Acts chapter 1, where we see the disciples struggling, and Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes in their lives in a profound way, and the rest of the book of Acts, is the fact that Jesus now lived in them, just like he lives in you. And just like he lives in me, if you're searching for victory over your sin, you don't have to look to the outside to make vows or promises, or I want to be accountable to you or by sheer determination or, or resolutions, no matter how sincere they may be. Those are doomed to fail because we're trying to combat the flesh through the flesh. But if you want to have victory over sin and have the ability to live like an overcomer, it is only found in the person of the Holy Spirit, that unbelievable power that wants to take full possession of you and live his life through you, his perfect life, his holy life, to give you the mind of Christ. He will live his life through you, and he is holy, hence Holy Spirit. It's a sanctified life. And it will give you victory over all that has kept you in the past from experiencing the higher Christian life. So rest in him, yield to him, surrender to him, present your body to him, and let his victory become yours. It is really that simple. Hard, yes, but really simple. I hope this has been a blessing to you today. I've enjoyed sharing this with you this week, and I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Have a great weekend. Until then.